Awesome. Well, thank you. It's it's a joy to be able to um, to preach today. Thank you to the team for laying the foundation and everything. And I'm excited for all that God's saying and doing. Um, this message today for me, it, it I've known for a, a little while that I was preaching, but it's um, my preparation for this has felt different to any other time I've preached. That every other time I've always had a concept that God's worked in my heart that I've been like, yep, that's what I'm going to preach about. That's a concept we're going to bring through. Um, but this time it was really different, and I was. I was really like, God, what, what have you got for me to say? And the only thing that would come alive in my heart was a passage of Scripture. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to study that. We're going to talk about that. And um, it, God's really brought some great things alive in my heart. Um, I don't know exactly where it's going to go like at other times, but it's, it's great. And um, it, it follows on beautifully from what Pastor Peter's been sharing the last few weeks as well, well, last week and the previous weeks about um, God's favorites. So our message today, I'm going to call it the good land, study in Deuteronomy 8. So tell the person next to you, we're going to the good land. <laughs> or, or maybe we're already there. We're already in the good land. Maybe we should say that. That's even better. Um, and so I'd love to pray to begin this today. I... Um, would you join with me? Why don't we just ask the Holy Spirit to, to speak through me, to speak what he's got in his heart uh, in His heart today for each of us. And so, God, we just give you this, this whole time. It's already yours, but we just come, Holy Spirit, and we seek you to speak. I pray that you would speak your words through me. And in fact, I, I really feel a sense in my heart that there's people who are here today, whether that's here in the room, joining us online, joining us in the future maybe, um, and you've put a, you've stirred their hearts for the good land. You've stirred something in their hearts um, for a good land where you're taking them, where you're leading their family, for a, um, where, where you, what you've got for them. You, you've birthed a vision and you're stirring that in their hearts. I really, I see that picture even as, even as I'm praying now that there's, there's people here and it's like God's put a vision or stirred something in your heart for the good land, for, for what he's got for you, for your family, for a vision for the future. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we, as we speak today, that you would use this to, um, to speak to each of us the word that we need to hear, the rhema word that's for each of us. It might be individual or different for every person, but, but I pray that you would speak to each of us, speak the word that you've got in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Awesome. Well, we're going to have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 today. Um, through our church uh, social channels, I, um, I shared a little video earlier in the week with two challenges for you, and one was your homework that you could actually read Deuteronomy 8 in preparation for today. Did anybody do that? Oh, well done. All right. Now, everyone who didn't raise your hand, look at these people who did and say, you are our example. This is what I strive to reach in the Christian life. This is what we're all going after. Um, and those who did raise your hand, just look it down at the others and say, it's all right. One day you might reach the level of holiness that I have attained. We're honest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Those who raised your hand and underneath, you know, you didn't even know Deuteronomy 8 was on the agenda for today. You, you can look at everyone else and know that you are. Anyway, there's a... God will deal with you guys in eternity. Um, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and um, we'll read it together um, in pieces. We're going to read the whole thing. Um, we'll read it together for Jasmine's sake, because she didn't read it in preparation. So we're going to have to do it all together. I'm sorry, everyone who did read it, but Jasmine didn't. So we've all got, you know, like when you're in, in class and you've all done the work, but one person hasn't. So we've got to go over it again. Oh, old stuff. I know this like the back of my hand. Um, so, yeah, and sorry, Jasmine's now the, the name of everyone who didn't read the chapter. Um, see, that's, we're a family at Breakthrough. If you don't do your homework, you get singled out on live stream in front of... Let's put the camera on Jasmine, right? No, not really. No. 
Um, what about put your hand up as well if you've got like a real big fat paper Bible today as well, because I've got mine. So let's see who's... Ah, oh, put your hand up if you've got a paper Bible and you read Deuteronomy 8. Uh, Jasmine doesn't have a Bible, says pre. Oh, <laughs> well, it's getting real now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> pre didn't read Deuteronomy 8. She's sitting there munching on her chocolate with no Bible, pointing to Jasmine, saying, Jasmine didn't read. <laughs> okay, well. Let's read Deuteronomy 8. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter at once. Um, we're going to read it in, in pieces. What we're actually going to do to begin is jump to verse 7, um, because that's always the most natural way to read a chapter of the Bible, is start from verse 7, then go back and read the beginning afterwards. Um, but for this, it sort of works. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7 to 10, is a description of the good land. Okay, um, Let's quickly read it together, and then we can... Um, talk a little about them about this this is God speaking to his people the children of Israel about the good land he's bringing them into it says the Lord your God is bringing you to a the good land a land of brooks where's brook brooks and so all right well we're going to have more brooks okay we've got one but we need more uh spring <laughs> springs and fountains flowing forth in the valleys and hills a land of wheat barley vines fig trees pomegranates Olive trees, Kyra says amen to olive trees, um, a land where you can eat food in plenty. Amen, we're going to eat food in plenty. How's that sound? Caleb says amen. No, he's up, mum. Uh, <laughs> and we'll find, oh, we've got a brook. Oh, the Lord has provided. We were literally just talking about you. Is there another one of you about to come in? Oh, okay. Oh, so we've just got one brook still. Oh, well, that's all right. Yeah, we'll just get us quite, oh, all right, we're back to no brooks. <laughs> Isn't that the way sometimes it's like, ah, oh, we're stepping into the good land, but the devil's trying to push us back, but we're going to get there with Brooks. Um, the devil, Chris <laughs> said, the super kids are the devil, stealing our Brooks. You cannot keep our Brooks, super kids. Um, I've no idea where we're up to, but let's, I think we're up to about verse 9. Uh, you can eat food in plenty. You will find no lack of anything. A land whose stones are iron, whose, from whose hills you can mine copper. You can eat your fill and praise the Lord your God because of the good land that he has given you. How many say amen? That's a good description of God's heart and the good land that he is bringing us to. Um, before I go on, can I actually ask um, my brother Jay, would you be able to grab take my laptop for me and make the screen stop turning off for me because um, I am okay with technology, but I keep forgetting to do that every time I preach. <laughs> Thank you so much, bro. Um, so that, that is a good description of the good land. We say amen to that. Um, we're going to talk a bit about that today, the good land that God has got for each and every one of us. Now, I did have another challenge on Facebook. How many saw this one that you today could bring a snack or a, your favorite chocolate that you think represents the good land? How many, how many did that? Put your hand up. Raise your chocolate in the air if you brought Oh, Jasmine brought a chocolate, but she didn't read the chapter. Is that right? <laughs> okay. So we'll take a quick detour here. Everyone's well, some brought your chocolates that represent the good land. Right, just raise them high in the air if you've got them. What, what, have, we, what have we got? Just well, Let's work our around. What are Graham, what have you? Picnics. Land flying of picnics. Kit Kats, Turkish Delight, Crunchies. Uh, what are you eating, Pre? Fredo frogs? <laughs> what? Oh, 
Daryl Lee Dark Chocolate. Gee. Oh, that's another level like this. <laughs> Kirsty's got the old wrapper of a kind of surprise. The land got a bit too good on the way to church, hey? <laughs> boost, boost bars? All right. Yeah, okay. This, our chocolates represent the good land. These are all pretty good. What about, um, I don't know, anyone else who didn't bring one, just shout out. What, what is the chocolate for you that represents the good land? The, what is the best chocolate going around? Turkish delight. Any agreement? Disagreement? Flake. Yeah, I'm. I'm all for flake. Who? Who's a flake person? Yep. What was that? Sorry. Toblerone. Oh, Toblerone. Here we go. That's the good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Milk chocolate. Oh, just the classic dark chocolate. Did you say? Do you like dark chocolate, Dad? Oh. Do you have that with your yogurt in the morning? Is that? Fast. Lint. Oh, yeah, okay. Kit Kat. Yes. Who, what, was it Judith had a Kit Kat? Ah, oh, yeah, okay. Kit Kats. Who wants to, all right, guess what, what, what is my, like if I have my ultimate Goodland chocolate, what is that? What is it? Oh, that is pretty good. You can tell. <laughs> I feel like that has been my answer now. Josh is so certain of it. Kyra, what's my favourite chocolate? Yeah, like 90% dark chocolate with, I reckon, hazelnuts in it. Or no, better, with macadamias. Oh, I, yeah, what do you reckon? Dark chocolate macadamias. <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Brie. <laughs> oh, okay, so anyway... Um, so you, you're allowed to eat those chocolates as we preach today because you're thinking about meditating on the good land. This is like an immersive sermon. All your senses are coming alive with the good land. Um, now, this passage we just read, Deuteronomy 8, 7 to 10, as I said, it's God speaking to his people about the good land he's taking them into. Pastor's been speaking a lot from the book of Deuteronomy because the children of Israel, the book of Deuteronomy, they're about to walk into the good land. Um, when they, when they read this passage all about you're going to uh, eat, um, was it you'll have uh, plenty, you'll have no lack of anything and eat bread without scarcity, you'll have all, all this beautiful stuff. You rip it open, Jasmine, don't worry. There's, no, no, that's, that's fine. You've already interrupted me enough. May as well do one more time. <laughs> all right, everybody open. One, two, three. Rip open your chocolates. Now we're all good. <laughs> um, when God spoke this, the, when Moses, you know, gave this word to them, the word of the Lord about the good land, uh, what's the, what the Israelites, what's their context been for the last little while? Where have they been when God spoke this? The wilderness, is that right? How long have they been in the wilderness? Long time, about 40 years. This is right at the end. It's sort of somewhere between 38 and 40 years is when Moses spoke these words to them. Um, what have they been eating for the whole time in the wilderness? Manna. Yeah. Have they been having the chocolate and the bread without scarcity and all the, what, what's it talking about, the vines and the, the pomegranates and the figs and the olive trees and the, um, has that been their story? No. They've been having, having manna every day. So when they were hearing this, they're, they're pretty excited. Um, I just want to quickly read it. Actually, let's just quickly read it one more time. Um, Josh, if you could pop that up again for us from verse 7. Just put yourself in their shoes. 
Um, and remember, Pastor spoke a great message right back at the beginning of his series about uh, favorites, about the context here where the Israelites have not only been in the wilderness for 40 years, they've been in the wilderness for 40 years and watched everyone die, literally, <laughs> um, except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, and Moses has been told he's going to die too. So they're not in a great place, <laughs> really. And so God's saying here, the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land, a land of brooks, springs, fountains flowing forth in the valleys and hills, a land, here we go, wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive trees, and honey, a land where you would eat food in plenty and find no lack of anything. Um, we just read that like, oh, that's good, that's nice. Like they've had 40 years of, of manna, um, you know, this would be pretty exciting to them. Uh, a land whose stones are iron, from whose hills you can mine copper. You will eat your fill and praise the Lord for the good land he has given you. Um, so this would be pretty exciting to them. And I want us, as we're talking today, to build a picture of this is God's heart to bring us into a, a good land. It talks in other places about being, this being a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where there's life and provision, sustenance and favor. <laughs> We've been talking about God's favor. And I love us as we talk about this today, every time we look at the good land, I think it's a beautiful manifestation of life lived in God's favor. Um, now, we're gonna, as we talk about this, we're not just going to talk about, oh, it's just amazing, it's wonderful. We're going to do some, some teaching underneath this. But I want us every time to think about the good land as that's manifestation of God's favor. And who are God's favorites? That's us, okay? That's us. And what God describes there is his heart for us, taking us into his favor. But we've just said the Israelites have spent 40 years eating manna. Is that right? Um, and in the few verses before, it actually talks about it. But I want us to take one second. No one's allowed to look at your Bibles in this moment. Okay, that's you two, Jasmine. All right, no cheat. Pre, no cheating. All right, you two watch each other and tell me if the other one cheats, okay? Um, in the... Pastor Peter literally just looked at his Bible after I said that. <laughs> literally, he looked me in the eye and then looked down at his Bible. That's, that's really disappointing, isn't it? You think you know someone. <laughs> you think you... Anyway. Um, oh, thanks, Mum. Yeah, you got your phone. That's good. Um, so the, in the first part of this chapter, uh, Moses talks about manna that they've been eating. So before he talks about the, all the beautiful food and everything... He's literally just finished talking about this 40 years and eating manna. And he tells them three reasons that God gave them manna. He said manna did, was to do three things. Does anyone know? I mean, what are those? Can, can you guess? What would be the three things, the three reasons God gave them manna? You can shout out a, a thought. God said, I gave you manna in order to feed you. That would be pretty good. You needed to order to eat. Yep. Yep. No, he never. He doesn't say he gave it to feed them. Now, he just sort of implied it was obviously there for them to eat. It's not like, oh, I gave you this decoration, you started eating it. What's wrong with you, God? I don't, but, but God didn't talk about the, the, because, oh, you needed food, so I gave you food to, I, I gave it to sustain you or to feed you. He talks about three specific things, purposes for manna. To teach is one of them. Yep. Any other guesses? To prove, yep. To test or to prove, yep. And the third one is to humble you. He said, I specifically needed in this season to humble you, to teach you, and to test you. And that's why I gave you manna. It wasn't because I was worried that you weren't going to have food to eat. I needed to feed you. He says, so let's actually, let's read that together. Um, let's just read from, well, let's just read from verse 1. Um, 
So Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. We can read this all day. You're allowed to look at your Bible now, Pastor. Uh, you must keep carefully all these commandments I'm giving you today so that you can live, increase in number. We need to do that. We need more brooks. And go in and occupy the land that the Lord promised to your ancestors, the good land. Remember the whole way by which he's brought you these 40 years through the desert by humbling you, uh, test you, through the, so, that, so, so that he might, by humbling you, test you to see if you have it within you to keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you by making you hungry and then feeding you with unfamiliar manner. He did this to teach you that man, humankind cannot live by bread alone, but also by everything that comes from the Lord's mouth. Um, and actually, let's read the next couple of verses as well. Your clothing didn't wear out, nor did your foot swell. All these 40 years, be keenly aware, just as a parent disciplines his child, the Lord God disciplines you. Um, that's encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> um, he said he, he gave them manna specifically, and it talks about it again later as well, but for the sake of time, we'll just go there. He said, I fed you with manna so that I would, um, would make you know, would teach you and would test you and test you to see what was in your heart and would humble you. Um, and he specifically said there, he said, I humbled you and let you hunger so that so that I could teach you and test you with manna. Um, who did God say made them hung, hunger in the desert? He said God made them hunger. Oh, what? hold on. That, it's like, that's got to be a misprint. You know, God's not the one who makes me hunger. God, God's the one who gives me the, the land flowing with milk and honey and the pomegranates and the figs and the flakes and the Kit Kats and the 90% dark chocolate with macadamias. But actually, God says, I'm, I made you hunger. He said, in this season in the wilderness, I specifically made you hunger to, to test you and to teach you so that then I could bring you into the good land. It's like, oh, God, how does that work? <laughs> you know, that doesn't, quite, that doesn't quite fit with my picture of you, God. You're meant, it's like the devil makes me hunger, but God provides. You know, the, the, the devil tries to, to make me hungry, but God brings me through provision. And that, that, is, that is right. I'm not, I'm not up here preaching that God's going to make you sick or strike you down. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I want us to, to read this and, and look at it and understand what God's actually saying and what he did. Um, and I, I was thinking about this um, this week. And I thought of a question, because God said that specifically. He said, I trained you like, a, um, like you discipline, like you train a child. Um, you know, I've, I've got two kids, Levi and Zari. Would, do you think I would ever let Levi hunger? All right, turn, turn to the person next to you. Say, would, would, all right, all right, let's see what everyone really thinks of my fatherhood, all right? Would, would turn to the person next to you and you decide, would, would I ever let Levi hunger? No. Does anyone reckon Yes. Yeah, Ethan does. Dad does. Come on, Dad. First year, just don't listen to me. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 all right. I, I, I definitely would and have let Levi hunger at times. Absolutely, and I will continue to do so unashamedly. Sandy's like, oh, I don't know what to do with this, Caleb. What are you? No, <laughs> that's not our clip for social media. I don't want the social services turning up on our doorstep. And <laughs> um, when, when might I let Levi hunger? Yeah, when he's trying to eat something wrong, when he, you know, we, there have been many, plenty of times, and I suspect he'll come to an age where there'll be plenty more times where we sit down at, at dinner and we feed him something good, you know, it's something along the lines of pomegranates and vines and good, good healthy food. You know, we've got meat and rice and veggies, and he'll be in his seat and 
Ah! He's like, I want that, I want that, I want that. No, no, you gotta eat this. No, the world is ending. He's making me eat chicken and rice and vegetables. Ah! He's like, I want this, I want this. It's like, no, no, you can't have this. He's like, ah, I want it, I want it. Well, do you know what I do then? Well, you're gonna be hungry. <laughs> um, because you, 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 why am I making Bill hungry? Is it because I don't like him? No, is it because I enjoy squatting him under my heel and saying, you will only eat when I allow you to eat, child. <laughs> I am the all-powerful. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, there's the clip for socials. <laughs> um, that, that maybe a little, no, that's not why I do it. Well, why, why in that situation do I let him hunger? Yeah, I want to teach him. I've got to teach him and train him. To, to learn to eat what is good. Because if I teach him and train him in that now, and there's, it, it, Levi's currently three years old, and I'm teaching him, you can't get what you want every instant you want it, okay? Right now, you want dessert, you want chocolate, you want whatever. No, you can't have that right now. You can have chicken and rice and vegetables because that's good for you. The teaching and what I'm actually putting in him in that moment is the same thing that will be inside him when he's 19 years old and he sees a good-looking girl and he says, I can't have you right now. I have to wait for another time. Okay, that got a bit real. Okay, you know, I'm sorry. Everyone, <laughs> Mum's like, oh, my God, did Caleb just say that for a second? <laughs> okay, my cannibalistic family. <laughs> no, Levi, you can't just eat anyone off the street, son. You have to wait until the appropriate time. <laughs> Quick side note. Has anyone ever heard of a band in New Zealand called The Lads? Who's heard of The Lads? Like, yeah, they've got a song called Cannibalism is Wrong, and you should absolutely look it up and listen to it. It's actually, it's really good. They, they sing a whole lot. They're a Christian band with great, great songs and... Um, very quirky songs. They've got one called Beetroot Stain. God's love is like a beetroot stain. It never, ever goes away and stuff like that. <laughs> and they've got one called Cannibalism's Wrong, which is literally about this concept pretty much. Um, so there's a little plug for them. I don't think they're still making music, but, but look it up. Um, but does that make sense? I'm letting Levi in this season, here and today, letting him hunger at times and seasons because I'm teaching him and training him actually nothing to do with food. My, my training's actually got nothing to do with whether you're hungry or what you eat. I'm teaching him that you can't just get what you want the moment you want it. And then when you're older, you're going to know, oh, I have a desire for that. I want that, but I can't have it right now. I have to have character and things built into me underlying. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, in the moment now, if I say, oh, I can't let you hunger, you poor thing. Have the chocolate, have the whatever. He learned, ah, oh, if I want something, I throw a tantrum. I get it. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, I think... There are a number of people in our generation who are now 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds who I think have been learnt the lesson, taught the lessons of if I throw a tantrum and cry enough and say I want it, then I get it. And so now here I am and I, I want that, I want that, I want that, and they ex I, I expect it. Um, or I just take it with no thoughts of the consequences for the, myself or anyone else or anything like that. Um, does that make sense? Um, so would I let Levi hunger? Absolutely. <laughs> um, if I don't, I, I'm not doing my duty as a loving, caring father. So God has come to his children here and he said, you know what? 40 years, I've been 
I let you hunger because I needed to teach you and train you and humble you a specific lesson. Their lesson wasn't actually to do with food. I needed to teach you a heart lesson because he said, if you don't learn that heart lesson, when you get into the good land, you're going to be in trouble and it will actually kill you. Uh, I needed to train you and he's, I, I let you go hungry and I taught you some lessons with food here. Um, now, God is, like I said, he, he is still our loving, caring provider. He is the best love. He, he is love. He is the best father there could ever be. I would like to think that I am a loving, caring father of Levi and that my, my letting him hunger and teaching him is out of that love. Um, and remember God specifically said there that just as... Actually, could you put the verse up again for me one more time, Josh? The one uh, was at verse 5. Um, Be keenly aware that just as a parent disciplines his child, the Lord your God disciplines you. He said, I was actually nurturing you. He's saying to them here, I let you hunger to teach you and train you because I was nurturing you and caring for you just like you would care for your children because I want the best for you. I want to bring you... I don't want to just get you to the stuff in the good land. I don't want to just say, oh, here, have the pomegranates, have the figs, have this and that. He said, I wanted to train you and teach you something here so that you would come and prosper in the good land, so that you could come and, and abound and prosper in the good things I've got for you. Um, and that's God's, that, that's God's heart for us. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. So, like I said, he, he had to teach them he wanted to teach them a lesson there. Let, let's have a look. Does anyone remember? Again, no, no looking at your Bibles for a minute. Uh, oh, he's, oh, Kirsty saw me looking at Mark. So he's got a notebook inside his Bible. It's all right. It's all right, Mark. I would trust you. I wouldn't trust Dad, but I would trust you. You're a man of character. Um, <laughs> sorry, Dad. That sort of sounded like I meant you weren't. But anyway, um, let's. Uh, what was the lesson? That God had to teach the Israelites. Why did He have to teach? What was the the manna lesson which He was teaching them for the Promised Land? Does anyone remember? He said it in the verses we read just before. He said, "I had to teach you that something very specific. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes, or literally is coming." From the mouth of God. Let's um, let's read that together so you can take my word. Um, we we'll go verse three again. This is the central verse that we're talking about. He humbled you by making you hungry and feeding you with unfamiliar manner. He did this to teach you that mankind cannot live by bread alone, but by everything or literally every word coming from the Lord's mouth. He said, "Mankind can't live by bread alone, but every word that's coming." Uh, from the Lord's mouth. What does that mean, that lesson? How, how, don't live by bread alone, but by every word from God. Oh, okay, I'm going to eat your words, God. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? Their bread was their, their provision. Their bread was what they had you know, in their hands. Think of, you know, actually, we use the phrase, say, we talk about money as bread. You know, you're going to go and make some dough. Or, you know, that, that's actually a... Um, I don't know, analogy, whatever it is that we, we actually use in our in our society. And I think that's really appropriate. To them, he's talking about bread is like their provision, their sustenance. It's their, this was a, an agricultural community that's their food. It's what they've, it represents everything they've worked for with their hands and grown and developed and their income is represented in bread or food. Um, in, in this 
context, this culture, often they would use the words bread and food interchangeably. So when they're talking about bread, they're not always just talking about that you know dough stuff that you make a sandwich out of. They're talking about your livelihood, effectively. And he's saying to them, you can't live by what you have, by your provision, what you can see that's in your hands. He said, you're, what you're relying on is the words that I speak. And so he said, if I say to you, you can do this, then you can do it. You don't look at what you have in your hands and say, ah, oh, I couldn't do that. I don't have the resource. I don't have the skill. I don't have the ability. I don't have the income. We couldn't do it. He says, no, you don't live by what you've got in your hands, resource, skill, ability, anything. He said, you live by the words coming from God's mouth. And as I say, you can do this, and I say, go and do this, with my words come the power for their fulfillment. Um, Does anyone remember in in Luke, when the angel spoke to Mary, and Mary says, how will this be? The angel said, nothing, literally no rhema, no word is without its power to be fulfilled. And this is actually that same concept, that same message that he's saying, you're not, um, I'm teaching you that what you can do is not based on what you have. Don't look at the resource in your hands. He said, you look at the words that I speak. And when I say something, that's the determining factor. That's the deciding factor. It's based on what I say, not what your resource is. Now, why might God have needed to teach them that particular lesson, do you think? What had happened 40 years earlier? Sorry? They were slaves, that's right. And then they came into out of, out of slavery, out of Egypt, by God's hand, to the promised land, this good land we've just described. The spies went in to look at the promised land, all the good stuff that God had promised them, and God had said, I'm giving you this land. Every place where you set your foot, I've given it to you. He gave them those promises. They went in and they saw the land, but they also saw the giants and the enemies. And what did they say? We can't do this. They said, we're not strong or powerful enough. And God said, I've told you this is your land. I said, I have given you this land. And yet you came and looked at the land and said, ah, but we don't have the power. (laughs) We don't have the resource. To, to get this land, we can't do it. So he said, all right, we've got to cut this here. I can't send you into the land with that perspective because it will kill you. They, you know, in your, if you're looking in your own strength, you're not strong enough. They, we, they will kill you. <laughs> he says, you need to be doing this in my strength. So he said, we've got to step back. We're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness, and I'm going to fi- have to find a creative way to teach you that you cannot rely on your own strength but you can rely on my word, and you need to. So he said, I'm going to give you something called manna. Well, they called it manna, but we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm going to give you something very specific and say, you know what, for these 40 years, you're not just here in the wilderness being punished. You're not just here in the wilderness waiting for everyone to die. I've got to teach you to follow my words, not your own resource, your own ability. So I'm going to make a rule for these 40 years You are not allowed to provide any food for yourselves. You will not plant and harvest. You won't hunt. You you won't do any of that stuff. The only way that you're going to be fed this 40 years is by trusting my word. And I'm going to give you a word that every day I'll give you new, new manna, literally bread from heaven. I'm going to give you that every day. And the only way you're going to be fed is by trusting my word. 
Does that make sense? And so that's the, that's the lesson that God was teaching them with manna um, in, in order to teach them to go, to go into the land. Um, that, that lesson that whatever you've got in your hands, whatever resource you have, um, it, it's actually it's irrelevant. It's what, <laughs> it's what God says and what God has promised you. And, and how many of us, that, that lesson can be easier to, to learn when, when you've got nothing. <laughs> when you've got nothing, you're forced to learn that lesson. You're forced to, um, you're forced to trust God. You're forced to believe in him. And he said, I'm going to, in the wilderness, put you in a space where you're going to be forced to trust me. You're going to be forced to believe my word over your own resource so that then when I bring you into the good land, and you're in the land with the fig trees and the pomegranates and the vines and everything in the land flowing with milk and honey. When you're in the good land, I'm teaching you this lesson so that even then when you have all this resource, when you have all this stuff, your trust is in my word. <laughs> Does that make sense? Your trust is, is in me and what, I'm, what, what I've said to you. Um, and I actually want to just jump ahead for a minute. Can we look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 12 to 20? So this is later on in the chapter. And in that perspective... Actually, we'll go, sorry, from verse 11. So this is now straight after his description of the good land. So let's have a look at this in that context of thinking about the lesson that he's just taught them. Um, so do you want to pop that up for me, Josh? Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, verse 11. And he says here now, be sure that you don't forget the Lord your God by keeping his commandments, ordinances, and statutes that I'm giving you today. When you eat your fill, so remember, they haven't been able to do that for 40 years. When you build and occupy good houses, they haven't done that for 40 years. When your cattle and your flocks increase, when you have plenty of silver and gold, when you have abundance of everything in this good land, be sure that you do not feel self-important and forget the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt, from the place of slavery, who brought you through the great fearful desert of venomous snake, or serpents and scorpions and arid place with no water. He made water flow from a flint rock, flint rock and fed you in the desert with manna, which your ancestors had never before known, so that he might by humbling you, sorry, might by humbling you, test you and eventually bring good to you. Remember what we were saying before, that he wanted to test you and humble you so he could eventually bring you to this place of good. Then, now be careful not to say, my own ability and skill have gotten me this wealth. So he's saying, you're now going to be in the good land where all your life is prospering, but you have to be so careful not to say, hey, look, I've done this. Look at what I've built. <laughs> look at what I've accomplished. Remember, that's the does not live by bread alone lesson. Be careful not to say, my own ability and skill have gotten me this wealth. You must remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives you ability to get wealth. If you do this, he'll confirm his covenant he made by oath to your ancestors, even as he has to this day. Now, if you forget the Lord your God at all and follow other gods, worshipping them and prostrating yourself before them, I testify to you today that you will surely be annihilated. Just like the nations the Lord is about to destroy from your sight, so will he do to you because you would not obey him. Amen. Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> um, God is saying to them here, I am now bringing you into this good land, this good land of provision and plenty, manifestation of my favor. But he says, do not leave the lesson of manna in the wilderness. When we step in the good land, we cannot leave the lesson 
of manna behind because he said, if you do, it will kill you. <laughs> if we walk in God's favor and we leave the lessons that he's taught us behind, if we walk in God's favor and think for a second that I've actually got any ability in myself to do this <laughs> or that I, when, when everything's flourishing or like Chris talked about, my workplace is flourishing and everything else, other things around me are going well. When we see the manifestation of favor, when you walk in the good land, if you think for a second that, oh, you've had anything to do with that, God says, that's really dangerous. <laughs> that's really dangerous. You know, I, I actually think as I was um, uh, studying this and, and praying and thinking about it, I was thinking the concept favor is a bit like a big um, power tool. It's like a big power saw. Oh, thanks, babe. Um, you know, it's super powerful and super effective, but it's also really dangerous if you handle it wrong. And God's saying to them, I'm bringing you into this land of favor, into this land of blessing. But he said, in order to be able to, to sustain that, you, you need to remember the lessons. You've got to bring the lessons of manna into the promised land. He said, my favor, my blessing are great, and they're powerful things. And we're going to talk in a minute about the great things we're going to do with that. But he says, uh, if you don't handle them right, they're dangerous. Does that make sense? They're, they're, they're dangerous. And, they're actually get, and so our first thing today I want to highlight is to say, we're not going to leave the lesson of manna in the wilderness, okay? We're going to bring, bring the lessons of manna. We're going to bring that in with us to, to this place of God's favor. But then he says, but don't bring the mentality of manna into the promised land. Because there's almost these two perspectives. Let me, I want to try and describe this right. This is really what's in my heart. There's the lesson of manna, which is man does not live by bread alone, where you say, it's, it's not me, I've got... I can't, I don't bring anything to this God. It's not because of my own strength. It's not because of what I am or my own strength. It's because of your blessing, your word. I don't live by bread alone. I live by your word. God taught them that in the wilderness by stripping everything else away so that they literally had nothing. They, they would wake up every day and say, God, we need you to fulfill your word or else we'll starve. Like we, we, we have got nothing, no provision. We just every day, we need your manner. We need your, your provision. We need you just to, to provide what we have today. But God didn't want them to stay in that place. I think sometimes there can be a perspective, and I'm not saying this church, but just in the world and Christians generally, that, that, that is, that's almost a, a very holy perspective that we say, God... I have nothing in myself. I have nothing. I'm just totally reliant on what you have. So every day, I just need you to provide my manna, just to provide me just what I need, to provide me just to get past. God said, I was giving you that manna to teach you the lesson so that I could bring you into the land flowing with milk and honey. <laughs> I wanted to bring you into the good land, the land that's flowing in abundance, the land um, that we described in verse 7 to 10. The manna season... The manna mentality was to teach you the lesson so that you could walk in the good land. Does that make sense? So we want to bring the lesson from manna in, but we don't want to bring in the mentality of manna that says, well, I just get up every day and just hope that God provides because that's all I do. That's my whole part. That's all I've got is I just hope that God, you bring the manna because that's all I do. And then you give me just enough for today. And then I'll hope that you'll provide it again tomorrow. Um, like we said earlier, I actually dropped the name, but 
when God gave them manna, um, he didn't call it manna. They called it manna, which literally meant, what is it? Does anyone know what God's name for, for manna was when he first gave it to them? Bread of heaven. Yeah, literally heaven food. God said, I'm going to every day give you your heaven food. And they said, what is it? <laughs> they called it manna, which is a whole other message. Um, but God taught them, he taught them this lesson that he said every day, you will have nothing at all that you can bring, nothing that you can provide, but every day I'm going to bring you a bit of heaven food. Every day I'm going to bring some heaven down to you just to feed you and sustain you for that day. Um, and that sounds really good. You know, every day I have nothing, but I just need Jesus to bring me down a bit of heaven just to provide my needs and get me through that day. But that manner mentality is not what God wanted them to bring into the promised land. He wanted them to come into the good land um, with the lessons from manna, but not the mentality. Um, let's just actually quickly read again. Um, let's read. Can we read from verse 12? Just again, I just want to highlight this. Look now at the, the perspective that God's giving them around um, the manna. Men uh, sorry, I didn't say that very well. Look at this from the perspective that for 40 years, they have said, we're just here waiting every day. God, give us our heaven bread. God, give us our heaven bread. And God's saying, now I'm bringing you in the good land. And, and just look at the difference there. He says, when you eat your fill, when you build and occupy good houses, when your cattle and your flocks increase, when you have plenty of silver and plenty of gold, and when you have abundance of everything. He's saying, you, I don't want you to stay in a place where every day you're just saying, God, I just need a bit of heaven bread. God, I just need a bit of heaven bread to provide my needs today. God, I need a bit of heaven bread just to get me through what I need today. He said, I want to bring you through to the good land where it's flourishing and growing and there's abundance. Does that make sense? Um, let's jump down and have a quick look at, um, at verse 18 uh, where he says, he, he continues there and he says, you when you're in that place, remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives you the ability to get wealth. Um, if you do this, he'll confirm his covenant that he made to you by oath to your ancestors, even as he has to this day. He says, in, um, in the manna season, you were here to saying, God, every day I need my bread from heaven. I need a bit of bread from heaven just to get me through. I need a bit of bread from heaven today just to, to get me through here. But he said, I want to bring you into this place where he said, I'm giving you the power to get wealth, <laughs> the power where it's to grow and establish and um, have abundance. If you just go back that verse 18, where it says, he, it says I, I, he, the one who gives you ability or the power to get wealth. Um, let's do a really quick, I'll pretend to be a Hebrew scholar for a minute, where it says he gives you the power to get wealth. We're going to talk about that word get. Um, how many times... Do you guys think that word get is in the Hebrew Bible? All right, turn to the person next to you and take a guess. How many times is the word get in the Hebrew Bible, in Hebrew? All right, all right, throw out some answers. What do we got? Once? 42? A thousand? Everyone else is too nervous now. We've got a big spectrum. All right, let me tell you, like, everyone's well under still. No, not 5,000, no, but like 2,500, right? Actually, technically, 
2,636. Who guessed that? 2,636. Yeah, I, th I thought a few of you might have. I would have thought you would have guessed it, Jasmine, actually. Winston did put his hand up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, all the same ones who read the chat, they knew the answers. Um, okay, but here, here's the second part of it. So this word get is in the Bible, Hebrew, 2,636 times. Okay. How many of those times do you reckon it's translated into English as get? Okay. All right, every turn to the person beside you, you've got to lock in an answer here. How many times does it get, does it get translated get? Out of 2,636. All right, throw out your answers. What have we got? Once. <laughs> One, four, three. Seven. Seven. No one's actually correct yet, but you're all in the ballpark. No, you're not in the ball. Winston was very close. Twice, yes. We went straight from one to three to four. <laughs> Twice. So out of 2,600, yes, you get to have Jasmine's chocolate, actually. <laughs> out of 2,636 times in the Bible, um, only two of those is this word translated get. Um, I, I find that odd. I, I'm not a translator. I don't know why they chose this verse to you to say get. Um, do you, guess what? It's translated most of the time. It's generally the word do. So 1,300 times it's do. 700 times it's the word make. Um, the, the Hebrew word is actually, I apologize to anyone who speaks Hebrew, asar. That's exactly how you say it. Everyone take my word. Uh, why, did you, why did everyone laugh when I say something very serious? That was obviously not a joke. The, um, and I've actually got the, the, the definition of it. This is from uh, Bible Dictionary, Zodi Hardy's, um, and it's, it's a very, it, it just tells you what the word means. Um, could you pop that one up for us, please, Josh? Asar is a verb meaning to do, to make, to accomplish, to complete. So think about that, to do, to make, accomplish, complete. This frequently used Hebrew verb conveys the central notion of performing an activity. We're doing something with a distinct purpose, a moral obligation, or a goal in view. Particularly, it was used in conjunction with God's command. Um, we go over the next page. I think there's a little bit more. It described the process of construction, engaging in warfare, the yielding of grain, observing a religious ceremony, the completion of something, and um, actually, uh, the, the translation actually goes on, but I chose to cut it off there so that we could retain our, um, our morning time slot and PG rating. <laughs> it, it does go on a little bit more, so you can read that for yourselves later if you want to. Um, but do you want to go back to the first, <laughs> the first page of it? Um, it means to do, to make, to accomplish, to complete. Um, now, let's just think, keep that in our minds and go back and read uh, Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18. He says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He is the one who gives you the ability to, to do, to make, to accomplish, to generate, to complete wealth. He gives you the ability to create and to generate and to do and to produce wealth. Now, when we say wealth, I really, it's not a great word to use because now society is loaded just to people think about money. It makes it sound, it, you know, when I say that, it makes people think it sounds like you're saying, oh, God's giving you a get-rich-quick scheme. Hey, um, Wealth is a much bigger concept than money. <laughs> wealth talks about 
uh, shalom and life. You know, think spirit, soul, body, um, um, growth and, and development and um, abundance. Does that make sense? So think, think about wealth as being so, don't, you know, think about money as a small part of that. But God's saying to them here, in the good land, I'm giving you the ability, the strength to produce, to make, to develop, to, to create, to build. Does that make sense? Now, in the desert, he actually gave them the opposite. Remember, he told them, you cannot do anything. You cannot build houses. You cannot, you cannot even plant your own grain. You cannot even grow your own food. You can't even feed yourself. You can do nothing but trust me. Because I want to teach you that whatever situation you're in, you need to trust in me. But now that you've learned that lesson, I want to bring you in the good land. And how sad would it be if they stepped into the good land and they said, ah, oh, we learned the lesson from the desert, so we won't do anything. We'll just sit here and wait and say, God, give us our heaven bread today. God, give us our heaven bread we need today. Imagine how God would feel <laughs> in that situation. He'd be like, no, no, no. I taught you the lesson so that I could plant that in your heart, so that whatever situation you're in, you would trust in me, trust in my word, not in your own hands, not in what you can do. But now... I taught you that lesson because I want you to come into the good land and I want you to create. I want you to build. I want you to make wealth. I want you to make provision and life and, and um, gardens in the desert. I want you to make heaven on earth. He said, over here, you couldn't do anything. You just said, God, give me some heaven. Give me some bread, hev uh, heaven bread. Give me some bread from heaven. Just give me a bit of heaven to get me through today. And he said, ah, but I want you, uh, that, that's, that was nice, but that was just to teach you. I want to bring you in the good land because I want you to build heaven. <laughs> I don't want heaven to be flaky bread falling from the sky. I want it to come from inside you and you to build heaven on earth. Does that make sense? That's the good land. <laughs> he said, I want you to bring you a good land where you can build and make and produce and create, but you always know because you learned the manner lesson that this is not my hand. <laughs> this is not my strength. This is not by my ability. This is by his blessing and his goodness. It's by his favor. And I said, favor is not saying, God, send me heaven. <laughs> send me a bit of heaven today. Favor is saying, God, I want, to, I, I want by favor to build heaven. <laughs> I want by, by your favor to create and to build and to make the good things that you've called us to. Does that make sense, that distinction? Um, and so we're going to close up in a few minutes. Um, and maybe actually oh, wait, the band, if you guys want to come up and start playing, you can just jump straight up here. We can... Um, but I want you to think for a few minutes about what that actually means and looks like for your life. Does that make sense? That God's saying, I want you to learn the lesson from manna to take it into the good land, but I don't want you to leave that. Uh, I, don't want you, I don't want you to bring the mentality of manna. I want you to learn the lesson that, hey, you need to trust me. It's by my word. But now I want you to say, all right, God, I'm in, I am here in the good land. I've got your favor. I'm your favorite, and so I'm here to build. I'm here to make wealth. <laughs> I'm here to put my hand to things that prosper and to grow and to build a place of heaven on earth. I'm not, I don't want to be here, and this is, I talked about this in the offering last week. God forbid that when we think of favor or his blessing, we think about manna where it's like, oh, God, I'm here. 
I, I'm praying for your favor. I need you just to, to drop some blessing on me. Yeah. Drop me a blessing. Give me what I need. Give me what I need. And, you know, there's times when we say, God, I don't have what I need. I just need you to provide. I, I'm, not, I'm not against that at all. That's been a big part of our story. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that's not God's picture of the good land. God's picture of the good land is where he says, uh, by his strength, by his grace, he said, I've given you abundance to create and to build and to co-labor with me and to make. Does that make sense, that difference? And I want you to actually think and let the Holy Spirit just work in your heart. What does that look like for you? What does that mean in your life? What would it look like for you to, to say, I'm, I'm not just going to say, God, I Send me my bread from heaven today. Send me my bread from heaven for my family just to get them through. Send me my bread from heaven just to get us through financially. Send me my bread from heaven just to get me through emotionally. Oh, I just need, I just need God to provide just, just enough just to get my kids through or to get this. Say, so, no, God, I want to step into this land, the good land. I see my kids and uh, my family in the good land where, where there's abundance and we're building and we're influencing, where I'm not praying for you to meet the needs of my kids, where my kids are influencing and meeting the needs of our community, <laughs> where we're building and reaching out and it's about what we're doing to others. Um, you know, to, to close up, I, I want to um, just have a quick look at something. This is in uh, Psalm 90. Can we do one more passage together? You got that in us? Oh. Yeah, well, me and Ethan will, not the rest of us. Come on, we got one more passage in us. Can we do one more? Now, I'm just going to, um, I'm going to read you some snippets of this. Psalm chapter 90, Pastor Peter spoke about this a fair bit um, in his first sermon on this series, um, God's Favorites. I would highly encourage you, go back and listen to that uh, message. Quick overview is that this was written by Moses. Um, in this period when Moses has led the Israelites for 40 years through the wilderness and they're about to go in the promised land, but Moses knows that he doesn't get to go with them. He's going to die. Remember, they've spent 40 years watching all the people die off in the wilderness and just knowing that the promised land's just there, but we don't get to go in because we, we failed the test. God can't take us in. We didn't trust him. Um, and Moses has been grumpy. Pastor Peter's message was called, was it Grumpy Moses? Cranky Moses. Um, listen to that message again, because it, 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 there's really good stuff in there. So this is Cranky Moses saying, we're about, I see the promised land, but we're not going to go in there. Um, and just have a look. So he's, just think again, he spent 40 years being fed by manna, watching everyone die off. Um, and I'll, I'll just read some snippets to you, just for the sake of time. But this is from verse 3. He says, you return man to dust. And say, return, O children of man. A thousand years are in your, uh, sorry, a thousand years in your sight about as yesterday when it's past, as a watch in the night. You sweep us away like a flood. We're like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. Uh, we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we're dismayed. You've set our iniquities before us, our secret sins in light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is toil and trouble. They're gone and we fly away. He's not in a great place, eh? <laughs> He's like, we're all dying here in the wilderness. We don't get to go in and see your goodness. Everyone's dying. Everything's bad. But, he has a real shift. Again, Dad spoke about this in the message. I won't try and re-preach it, but there's a, a key point in here. He has a shift here where he goes from seeing all that's happened to this generation in the wilderness 
to then opening his heart and saying, I'm not going to be there, but God, now I'm, now I'm praying forward for the people going into the good land. I'm pr- crying out for your favor for them going into the good land. And he says, I'm going to um, go from verse 14. He says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as we're afflicted, for as many days as we've seen evil. Now, just look at these verses here. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glory to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Um, so I think the NET, which is on the screen, said, make our endeavors successful. The same concept, saying establish the work of our hands. Just think of this in light of what we just shared, for Moses to pray and to cry out for God, say, establish the work of our hands. For 40 years, God had literally said to them, I will not establish the work of your hands. He said, you can do nothing. You have to sit here in the wilderness and every day just wait for me to give you bread from heaven. The only way you're going to be sustained is you're going to do nothing and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. You can't have any part of this because I need to teach you the lesson. I need you to learn the lesson. That's what we've just talked about. But Moses is there looking from this place and looking to the good land, which he knows for him he's not going to get to. And he says, God, I'm actually crying out now. He said there at the beginning, let the favor of God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. (laughs) Establish the work of our hands. I've been, he, he says, We've gone from this season where you can't establish the work of our hands, but I see now we're walking into the good land. And so I'm crying out to you, God, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. I want to challenge you this morning, as you've been believing God for his favor, have you been praying with a manner mentality, saying, God, I'm here waiting for my bread from heaven. I need your favor. Give me my bread from heaven. God, I'm waiting for you to provide. I'm waiting for you to do this. I'm just waiting here for you. Or have you been praying with a good land mentality like Moses had here and said, God, establish the work of our hands. God, favor is not just about you just meeting my needs and giving me what I need. Your favor is about me now co-laboring with you and going into the land and, and you establishing the work of my hands. I'm not saying go and do things in your own strength. That's the lesson of manner we just talked about. <laughs> I'm not saying go out in your own flesh, obviously, but saying, God, I, I don't want to just stand here with the manner mentality and say, meet my needs, provide for me daily, give me what I need. No, I want to build. I want to do. <laughs> I want to do like those 2,600 times the words translated and say we're going to make and establish and grow and build. God, I'm crying out for you to establish the work of my hands. Establish. He wants to establish the work of your hands. What an amazing thought that the creator of the universe, you know, he did not need your help when he put the sun in the sky or made the, <laughs> made the earth spin. But he wants to establish the work of your hands. He could have built us that we only live in manner, that we just, we just walk around and he just pours down the blessings that we need. But he said, I don't want to do that. I want to co-labor with you. He said, I want you to work in this generation by my power, by my strength. I want to work in this generation. I want to work in this eastern region. He says, I want to work in Bayswater. How? By establishing the work of your hands. 
He does not want us just to sit here and say, God, pour down manna, pour down bread from heaven on Bayswater, pour down bread from heaven on our community. No, he says, I want to establish the work of your hands. <laughs> I want to establish the work of your hands that you build heaven on earth. I don't want to just send heaven from the sky. I want you to build heaven on earth by my strength. I think there's one other amazing thing. I was really, if we go back one verse in Psalm chapter 90 to verse 16, actually, I can just read it to you here. Moses said here, he said, Let your work be shown to your servants. Let your servants see your work and let their children see your glory. He said, I, We, your servants, we've seen your work. You know, that's God's work where he, he does the work. That was manna. Manna was all God's work. It was not man's work at all. It was all God's work. And Moses said, we see your work. We've seen the work that you've done. You've poured down bread from heaven and provided. But he said, now I'm crying that our children, this next generation who are going into the good land, would see your glory. You know, this, I, I, I believe there's something in that, Matt, that God, uh, Moses said, hey, we've seen your work, but as our children now step in and I'm crying out for you to establish the work of our hands, that's seeing your glory. <laughs> I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that to see God's glory is not to wait here with arms out to see it come down from heaven. It's for Him to establish the work of our hands. He wants His glory to rise. He wants His glory to rise in this eastern region, but He wants it to come through you, <laughs> through me, through us. He wants to establish the work of your hands and to bring His glory. Will you stand with me for a minute? We'll finish off in a, in a few minutes. But I just feel we're just going to, just for a few minutes, to, just let the Holy Spirit speak to us. To let this not just be a nice concept or a Bible lesson, but to be, let it be a rhema. Holy Spirit, even in this moment, I pray, let this be a rhema in our hearts, every one of us, for what you're saying to us. Will you just, even just open your hands to God before and say, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. God, that's our prayer. Lord, we might have seen your work. We might have seen your work and we're so grateful for it. We might have seen your work for many years in many ways and that's great. But we cry out now, God, we want to see your glory. We want to see your glory. Lord, we don't want to stand here with a manner mentality saying, God, provide, bring us what we need, show us your work. No, Lord, you've already, you've put it in us. You've put your spirit in us. We want to go now and we want to do the work with your strength. We pray, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. I said, we will finish off in a few minutes, but I just, I just feel that there's a, potentially a couple of people here that God wants to minister to particularly. So can you guys maybe even just let that rise and just to start to sing that for a minute. Just let in this moment, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let's establish the work of our hands. Let Him put in your heart what He's saying. How, how is He going to establish the work of your hands? How is He going to show His favour and His glory by establishing the work of your hands? How is He giving you the power to make wealth, to make abundance? How is He giving you the power to, to build heaven on earth? You guys sing that one time for me. Just... 
favor be upon you. And your children, and the children, sing it again, May's favor. Lord, we pray for your favor. We're crying out for his favor. Just like Moses in Psalm 90, whose favor establish the work in our hands, God. Establish the work in our hands. Establish the work of our hands. We'll, we'll finish off in a minute, but I just. Could you just, just for one minute, why don't you just lift up your voice in prayer? Why don't you just let's just start to fill this room through? I just I really feel the Holy Spirit is is putting rhema words in the heart of people right now. He wants to establish the work of your hands. Oh, just let it rise. Let it rise. Oh. Now, I just want to kind of say quickly, I, I was trying to, I was, whether God would give me more clarity, but Winston, I, I just feel God highlighting you to me. He, I believe there's something on this for you. He, he wants to, no, it's not, he is. He is establishing the work of your hands. I believe he's given you a vision of the good land. I believe he says he, ha he has given you that vision. He's put it in your heart. Don't be discouraged where it feels like where you are might seem so far from what's in your heart. Because he said he will establish the work of your, ha your hands. I believe he's saying you've learned the lesson of manner. So you're not trying to do it in your own strength. But I believe he's saying you're not trying to do it in your own strength. So don't pull back. Don't, don't hold back. Don't slow down. But charge forward because he's establishing the work of your hands. He is establishing the work of your hands. And when He establishes the work of your hands, then His favor's on it. And you cry, you cry out like Moses did every day and said, say, God, show me your favor. Show me your favor and you establish the work of my hands. And I declare you will see His glory. You might have seen His work in the past, but it's time you're going to see His glory. Your family will see His glory. I declare that in Jesus' name. I just feel Chris, I, I just feel God putting on his finger on you that he wants to establish the work of your hands. I feel him saying that there's an anointing on you like Joseph. You've got an anointing like Joseph to go into secular places, to go into places in the world and to bring favor, <laughs> to bring favor. And I declare God's putting you, has put you and will put you in places strategically. You might not see the strategy of it, 
until years in the future. <laughs> but like he did with Joseph, he put him in strategic places because by his favor, he put him there by his favor and then Joseph had his favor and he established the work of his hands. And it was not just about what he was doing for Joseph or even for his family, but for many, many others as well. I really believe, Chris, God wants to put you in places by His favour, places, I, I really feel it's places in the world, places of secular influence by His favour, and you, you to go there and carry His favour, and He will establish the work of your hands to do things that are, it's, it's way bigger than you or even your family. You guys will be super blessed in it, but He's got you strategically there. Like for Joseph, that was for a whole nation. He had Joseph there strategically for so many other people that didn't even know about it. There'll be so many people that don't even know it, but God's got you there for them, for us, for others. It's gonna, it, it, I, I, don't, I don't know why, I don't know how, but it's for his, to build his kingdom, to build his kingdom. Maybe a couple of guys, could you go and pray with Chris for a minute? Um, or maybe Dale Jazz. I really just felt to get the guys to pray for you for a minute, Chris. God is putting you in places of favour and you're to carry His favour. And I actually, Chris, I encourage you every day, every day, you, you cry and you say, God, today establish the work of my hands. Never forget the lesson of manna. It will never be by your strength. But as you lean into His strength, it will come with an ease. continue to say, God, establish the work of my hands. Establish the work of my hands. May we see your glory.